Good news on Devin Booker's hamstring injury. What will it look like without him? How they can win without him? And when can we expect him back? That's all coming up on Locked On Suns. You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a contributor at suns.com and Dime Magazine, and a credentialed media member covering this Suns team for the past five seasons. Thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen every single day. Man, it's already flying by. The NBA playoffs, the Suns title chase, it's all here. Scroll down, hit subscribe so you do not miss a thing. You can find us on YouTube or any podcast platform. And today's an off day, but we are not getting a break here. The Devin Booker news coming down the pike today. One from the Suns themselves, and a little bit more detailed report from Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN. So we'll get to both, and then I want to talk a little bit about how to win without Booker, and we'll close the show with some crunch time talk as well. But, Booker update from the Suns. Phoenix Suns guard, this is verbatim, quote, And I quote, Phoenix Suns guard Devin Booker has sustained a mild right hamstring strain and MRI confirmed today. There's no timetable for his return and updates will be provided as appropriate. Now, there's always this weird thing with indefinite that sounds very ominous. It just means they're not going to tell us is is all that that means. So Adrian Wojnarowski, as he tends to do, was able to fill in some of the gaps here from Woj via Twitter. The right hamstring strain is believed to be mild, and Devin Booker isn't being ruled out of this opening round series versus New Orleans, sources tell ESPN. That's why I said good news. To me, anything less than a complete diagnosis of Devin Booker will be out 7, 10, 10 days and be reevaluated at that time, or, or something along, that would have been worst case scenario. What we saw with Luka Doncic, as I mentioned in my recap of Game 2, is a perfect example of the bad version of this, which is we are already ruling him out for you know games one and two in that case, or in the Suns' case, it might have been the whole first-round series or whatever. Um, this is a lot better than that. They're saying timetable, no, you know, no timetable, updates provided later. Woj is saying he could come back in this series. Obviously, that's subject to if the Suns are able to win three straight here and close it out in five, there's no need to get Devin Booker back, but if this thing goes six or seven, seems like there's a decent chance Booker could play. So, as a reminder, Booker played a uh, missed 20 days and seven total games uh, earlier this winter, around the end of November and early December, with a left hamstring injury. This is a right hamstring injury, both of them classified as strains, which is kind of the only hamstring injury you ever really see referenced. So, That's that. Two ways of looking at this. With the previous left hamstring injury and that timeline in mind, this current update from the Suns and from Woj in mind, and also last year's hamstring injury during the NBA Finals and over the summer in mind. Here's what I mean. Two ways of looking at it. One, this injury, this hamstring strain, is a similar severity as 
the previous one in the winter, mid-season, and the Suns should just move on, basically. Hope Booker is back for game one of the second round because even I was walking through this thought exercise in Tuesday's show and Wednesday's show. If you cut the time in half, let's say it's 10 days, 10 days gets you to the end of next week. That's basically between game six or seven. Um, and that's a pretty nice friendly timeline. If you're cutting the recovery in half, just thinking, well, it's the postseason now and you, you go a little bit uh, closer to the risk, the risk level in the playoffs, the risk line. That's still a very comfortable, nice, friendly timeline. Still gets him back maybe in time for Game 7. So if it's similar to that, maybe you just flush this series down the toilet. You say, we got to win it without Book. Let's see him back Game 1, second round, and we'll, uh, we'll pick back up there. The second way of looking at this whole thing right now, as we know, as far as what we know, the details we have, is that this is similar to what he struggled with in last year's finals, which if you remember, was he sits the fourth quarter of game three. Nobody knows why. I I will never forget doing the recap podcast of that episode because uh, I don't think we were doing video yet. We may have been. I was in my little tiny bedroom that I was sharing with my wife at our Airbnb in Chicago because my parents had offered to take us on a quick little weekend 4th of July thing trip and I had no idea the Suns were going to make the, the finals so we all are cuddled around watching this Italian watching game 3 eating this Italian food restaurant and then Brandon Duenas aka Zona and I uh, he's the co-host of the solar panel show now are just sitting there like what on God's green earth is going on that Devin Booker just sat an entire fourth quarter of a finals game. Well, we come to find out, and I think most of us assumed he was hurt, but the reason that it didn't end up being obvious is that he played games four, five, and six at a pretty dang high level. And then he goes on to the Olympics where he's uh, playing good basketball. doesn't look like he's hurt or limping around by any means. I mean, you could maybe find places where it impacted him, but it it was fine. So in that case, Booker missed, you know, let's assume he sort of was resting at practice and things, missed a few days and then hit the ground running in a way more intense environment than the Pelicans first round series and played at a very, very high level. So those are polar opposite situations. I don't know where we are. I truly don't. But I feel like hearing that Woj is calling it uh, possibility that he could be back in the first round and the Suns themselves are calling it a mild strain. That makes me feel like we're closer to the second outcome, the NBA Finals thing, a few days than 20 days like it was earlier in the regular season. It's impossible to know right now unless somebody is able to get hold of the MRI results and analyze them and Send them to me. It's at BrendanClean14. My DMs are open, but uh, unless anyone's able to do that for us, we just will have to wait. Still, the Suns need to win games without him. They can't. Uh, they can't just pack it up and say, "All right, you know, let's let's play softball and we'll get booked back for Game Six and then go back pedal to the metal." They got to win without him. So I went back and looked at the five and two stretch they had without Booker. What we can learn from that and three keys for how they can win games without Devin Booker against this Pelican squad. First though, guys, today's show brought to you by BetOnline. 
sportsbettingpodcast.net, your number one source for sports betting info, stats, and analysis all year long. Find the latest developments, including analysis, articles, podcasts, and more at Bet Online, including commentary on the NBA playoffs, the MLB regular season. MLB is so much fun to bet on because I feel like I increasingly don't watch those games, so it's just kind of like, huh, that team seems better. This odds, you know, this podcast or this article that I'm listening to, they seem to be pretty confident. Let's let's go for it. Why not? Um, and I love it. I love it. It's uh, it's just makes things fun. I'm looking at Bet Online right now. NBA draft odds for the first overall pick. I've been on this for a while. I actually have not put any money down my own, but I need to. Paolo Bancaro plus three twenty five to be the number one overall pick. You are having people like Kevin O'Connor go out on a limb and say. Paolo should be the number one pick. He played the best out of any of these three guys in the NCAA tournament. He's a scorer. Teams like that. They're going to think about Jason Tatum. They're going to think about Kevin Durant. They're going to say, why not Paolo? So guys, head to bet online. Read up. Make your bets. Learn. Do it all. Bet online where the game starts. The Suns will need to win three games out of the next five Tied 1-1, home court advantage is gone, and no Devin Booker. However, we all know the Suns survived without Devin Booker back during his last hamstring problem. Seven games, they went 5-2. First of all, I want to just preface all of this by saying the Suns were facing a pretty cake schedule. First game right out of the, the doors the next game that they play, he, he injures himself against Golden State, as everybody remembers. Then he comes back against, uh, the Suns come back without him against the Pistons. Blowout. They beat the Spurs in this stretch. They beat the Blazers in this stretch. But they also beat the Boston Celtics, who were mostly healthy outside of Jalen Brown. So that's the game I'm pinpointing. They also lost to the Warriors, which was a weird one. Um, not very competitive, especially when you look back at that box score. To me, in my head, I'm like, that game was pretty close. But I think that was a little bit of a morale win, if you are being honest with yourself there, because I think the Warriors ended up winning by 20-plus, and the Suns had an ugly box score. The Celtics game, though, was Suns basketball. It's a Suns box score. We've been seeing them for three years. Monty Williams could tell you what he probably would identify as a successful box score for the Suns, and This one had all of those elements. Primarily, 38 three-point attempts, which the Suns don't jack threes, right? We all know if they get above 30, that tends to mean that that .5 offense is going. Ball is moving. Players are, are moving. Players are being unselfish. The set plays are coming together the way that they should. Second, 25 assists. The real, like, gold of a box score for the for this the Monty era Suns, so to speak, is 30 plus threes, 30 plus assists, and preferably 10 or fewer turnovers. And the Suns did that shockingly several times, even when Ricky Rubio was here. That's the golden one. But in this case, 38 and 25 is awesome. Looking a little bit more closely, Chris Paul, and these are trends that that actually were not just in this Celtics game, but this game illustrates them. Paul had 12 assists, and uh, Campaign and Cameron Johnson both went off. I think 15 or so points each off the bench. And those are the two elements. If you look at these games, even in the losses, 
without Booker that had to happen. They were the constants in any time the Suns were playing during that stretch without Booker, especially in wins. You were having Paul getting 10 to 15 assists, and you were having Campaign and Cam Johnson both getting double-digit points off the bench. I think two of the elements I don't worry about here. Paul's going to get his assists. Cameron Johnson has been ready to go in this series. He actually hit a tough turnaround jumper in that fourth quarter, which we're just about to get to when we hit on some of these crunch time problems for the Suns. But the campaign element is the one there. If we're looking back at those patterns, the campaign element is the, is the one that I don't fully trust to be there. He has not been good in this series. There's no, there just is not a way around it. Um, in game two here, he was, let's see, three of six from the field, a little bit better. I believe he was one of six in game one. But then you look last night, he has three turnovers. So he, he whether it's three of six or one from six, one of six, like that's not with Booker and with Paul out in last year's playoffs, Cameron Payne was huge. That's the type of performance you're going to need from him or something close to it. And that has not been there. So that's going to be obviously a key factor in whether the Suns can, can turn things around. But I have three stylistic keys or schematic or game plan is a better way to put it. Three keys from a game plan standpoint for the Suns to win games without Booker. So number one, just talked about it. The bench has to produce. Within that, I think Cameron Johnson will do it. I think more pick and roll, which I'll talk about in a second, needs to happen, and McGee should be able to benefit from that, although McGee's been pretty good in both of these games. Um, and I think you also should not be... I talked about Torrey Craig, how I don't really see a role from him for him if, if he's not going to be able to defend Ingram, which he has not been able to do. Um, if all of that is true, don't be afraid to play Landry Shamit more, and don't be afraid to play Aaron Holiday over Landry Sham, uh, over Cameron Payne if it's not working with pain. Key number two, spam the pick and roll. Simplify the offense. Use DeAndre Ayton's downhill threat to open things up because you're not going to have Booker, A, with the gravity and the fluidity that he operates with off the ball. Defense is not going to have to pay attention to him. He's not going to be able to get open the way that he does. That whole element of the Suns offense is just not going to be there. There's going to be pet plays they can't turn to. There's going to be these transition moments where he's normally going to be the guy to pull up or get to the basket or do whatever he does, that's all going to be gone. So if you think in the half court, what's going to be the best option? You look at those assist numbers, you look at the three-point numbers and some of those wins without Booker earlier in the season, just run, pick, and roll. You can get creative with it. We know the Suns have a pretty innovative pick-and-roll game where they're setting off-ball screens, where they're having guys relocate where they are around the arc, where you're having uh, multiple sort of movements and, and screens happening at once, sort of like a Spain pick and roll, if you're familiar with that, where one guy sets a screen and then pops out to the top of the key and DeAndre Ayton rolls to the basket. And, and the best way for a defense to handle that is they're going to be doing three-way three switching. That all can still happen, but you need to just spam that pick and roll. DeAndre Ayton, Chris Paul, get the ball to Ayton on the lob over the top of John, Jonas Valanciunas, Get the ball to him on the short roll to spray out to shooters. Paul, get to that mid-range shot. Dish it out to shooters. But that, that Paul part is the last key. Key number three, I just said Paul has to be aggressive. Talk about this with the crunch time stuff to close out the show here in just a second. But 
Chris Paul was tentative in that fourth quarter last night. He has been tentative outside of, uh, in the first three quarters, in six of eight quarters, the first three quarters of both of these games, he has not looked to score at all. Um, He actually didn't score at a super high level in a lot of the games without Booker earlier in the season, but in that Celtics game, Paul, I believe, had 20 plus points. And that is something that, that has to continue to happen. I just think the playoff stuff, that's just where your best player needs to be able to create offense for himself, make shots in big moments. You can get away with some casual wins without your best player in the regular season, but in the playoffs, when defenses are keying in, when best the best players are playing more minutes, Paul, Paul can't be tentative or nonchalant about things. Like you're gonna need like 20 and 20 and 12 from Chris Paul every single night. Um, and that's that's an easy and obvious one, but it just hasn't happened. I mean, he had the massive fourth quarter in game one. He actually scored pretty well in the fourth quarter in game two. He was uh, two of five from the field, seven points and five assists in the fourth quarter of game two. It's not awesome, but it's it's at least the five shot attempts. Like he was he was taking them once Booker went down. It needs to be consistent throughout. All right, let's get to that fourth quarter. Let's dive in a little bit. I'll give you my observations. I went back and watched the fourth quarter specifically. Didn't want to relive too much of that game, to be completely honest. I watched the Booker highlights because we all did. And then I was like, I got to watch some of it. Let me watch the fourth quarter to see what went wrong and how they can fix it. It's going to surprise you, I think, because it wasn't the Suns playing terribly. I don't really feel. It was a lot of things going right for the Pelicans, and I think some of them are fixable. So we'll dive into all of it in a second. First though, guys, today's show brought to you by Bilt Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever. My favorite protein bar. It's a cult here at the Locked On Podcast Network with how much we love these things. Delicious, delicious stuff. There's a flavor for everybody, which is probably how you get a group of dozens and dozens, if not probably over 100 different podcast hosts to say we all love this same thing. It's because there's something for everybody. Maybe you are a sweets, sweet tooth. You love the double chocolate like me. You love the peanut butter brownie. Or maybe you're a little bit on the lighter side and you prefer something like coconut or raspberry or orange. All of them covered in 100% chocolate, all of them soft and delicious and easy to chew, and all of them with that perfect macros chart for a snack. Less than 150 calories, less than 5 grams of sugar, and 15 to 20 grams of protein. Seriously, I, I I don't have an answer for how they do it. They're all about taste, they make it delicious first, then they figure out how to make it healthy, and they do it every single time. They pull it off every single time. For a limited time, you can get Mint Marshmallow Puffs, the latest release from Built Bar. They're constantly trying new stuff. They're constantly doing limited time releases. So go to Built.com. Go now. Built.com. Check out the new stuff. Check out the classics. Check out your favorite. Maybe find a new favorite. And when you do, use the promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off your next order. That's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. My notebook here from the fourth quarter. I won't get too into the weeds. No one wants to sit there and hear about how the Pelicans dismantled the Suns. But actually, as I was just saying, don't think that's really a fair read on it. So here we go. Here's where I think things get interesting. There were two inflection points in the fourth quarter, okay? Eight minute and 22 mark. Well, like 10 seconds before that when it starts. The Suns go 96, go up 96 to 95, 
at the eight minute and 22 second mark. That's the Cameron Johnson smash dunk in transition. He steals a pass to Herb Jones, maybe. Gets out, leak, uh, fast break, smash dunk. Willie Green calls a timeout. Very good timeout, first of all. Uh, but that's the Suns' lead. I forgot that happened. Um, but they did. Eight minutes left in the game. The Suns take the lead back. No Devin Booker, all of it. Take the lead back. But right about then, Brandon Ingram comes into the game. And that's really the, the, the first major inflection point. Ingram would go on to have 12 points and an assist in the final eight minutes. He closes the game. I mean, it's, it's his coming out party. We all know that. Okay. Second inflection point, just a couple moments later. The Suns go down 99 to 98 on a Jonas, Jonas Valanciunas hook shot. So first of all, I want to just say on the note of the hook shot, that and a Jose Alvarado floater were both actual things that happened in this game. You had a flailing Valanciunas hook make, and then you have a, an Alvarado who's like 5'10", he's shorter than Chris Paul, making a floater in the lane like over JaVale McGee's head as another shot. So just bear that in mind that some of this is just luck or randomness and things turn on a dime in the playoffs. But at that moment, 99-98, Valanciunas puts him up. The next two Suns shots, this is a mistake. This is not bad luck or misfortune or, or randomness. The Suns' next two shots in that moment are a Chris Paul post jumper, which like, if you're gagging, so am I. It's bad. Not a good thing to do. He gets into the post on Jose Alvarado, which like, I get. But how many, I mean, is it single digit times we've seen Chris Paul post up in any moment of any game since he got here? Like that is not what he does on offense anymore, at least. And it's not a shot that, that felt or looked comfortable. Second one after the Pelicans actually miss. So they, the Suns give up that, that weird Chris Paul post jumper. The Pelicans actually miss, kind of bail Chris Paul out on that one. And then the Suns get the ball back again down one point, 99-98. And the next shot is a sort of out of rhythm, little bit of time left on the clock, DeAndre Ayton mid-range jumper. One of those where he doesn't shoot it fluidly, he just kind of throws it up there. Very much a first two years DA shot. Not a good one. Both, as I'm obviously indicating with how grossed out I am by them, they miss. From that point on, after the DeAndre Ayton miss, which was at the six minute and 52 second mark, the Pels would go on to make five threes. So Ingram is, is great in his own way. I think two of those threes were his. Five threes in the final seven minutes of the game. And that's when things turn. CJ McCollum's able to get into rhythm a little bit. You have a, an Alvarado three where Cam Johnson helps over on the strong side, which I get it's Ingram. They are playing him aggressively. It's Alvarado in the corner, who's not much of a shooter, but still, Cam Johnson leaves the strong side corner. So it's it's Ingram, it's McCollum, and it's Alvarado making those threes. And that's how they put the game away. It actually hangs in the balance from about at about 99-98 uh, for a while, and then those threes really start to pour on. Couple things on the Sun side, though, with all that said. So very easy to, if, if there's a higher level of focus and more just straight pick and roll, as I said in that last segment, I think some of this gets cleaned up. I think the Suns in, in game two veered a little bit too much toward the mismatch hunting stuff, whether it was Hayes or McCollum or whomever. Um, I think there's still certain times when you want to do it. I think namely they 
continue to let Devontae Graham get minutes in this series when he's doing absolutely nothing, but he's able to just be out there and give the rotation some, some lift and allow the other guys to rest, the Suns need to go at Devontae Graham. But aside from very specific situations like that, running a more simple offense is going to do a lot of good here because I think you could have gotten a lot better shots just running your stuff than the Chris Paul post jumper or the DeAndre and midi, uh, to be completely honest with you. So some of that's organic. But the other stuff here, because you look at this box score in the fourth quarter, the Suns shot 57% in the fourth quarter. They had eight assists and only two turnovers. Like most of the time, that's a winning formula. You don't feel like that's an ugly outcome by any means. Um, They were three of nine from deep, not exactly awful. Pelicans actually had one more turnover than they did. The Pelicans had six fouls compared to only two for the Suns. Suns got to the free throw line more. Like none of this makes any sense until you realize the Pelicans just went out of their mind from a shot making perspective. So what I think you just need to be prepared to do is match that. You just need to run your offense better. If the Suns are, are matching point for point, I don't think that, and that's an obvious thing to say, but it's it was on the offensive end where they let this game get away. The defense was fine. You live with the results when Ingram is shooting over the top of you, when Alvarado makes a very fortunate three when Valanciunas gets that hook shot, when Alvarado gets his floater. Those are all things you live with. They need to score better. So on that note, Mikhail Bridges was awesome. Cutting, attacking closeouts, getting to the basket, thank the gods, all of them, of every creed. Like this, this guy was awesome. Um, run more offense for him. If he, like Run more offense for whoever the hell is making shots. But in this case, it was Bridges and they just kept kind of going to him on accident and he was he was rewarding it every single time and then again Chris Paul was hesitant um if, if, if he just takes there were two threes he caught one three it was um Trey Murphy closing out to him on the top of the key I don't remember what led to it but it's a kick out back to Chris Paul and rather than take the three which was a little deep but not a shot he incapable of making by any means and it's Trey Murphy who was slow on the closeout, and it's not like he's, you know, eight feet tall. He passed it away. And then there was another one against Larry Nance, I believe, on a switch, which actually led to a miss by Mikhail Bridges on a drive to the basket from the corner, where Paul kind of got up in the air, picked up his dribble, then had to dish it back, and it, it clogged the possession up. Maybe he'll be more ready for it, knowing Booker will be out, but those are just shots that your best player needs to take in those moments. Like, a... Somewhat contested Chris Paul three in crunch time feels like a a much better shot than a lot of the ones the Suns ended up getting. So go to the guy, whether it's Bridges or anybody else that's that's getting hot, going hot, like kind of find that hot hand a little bit better, run more pick and roll. Chris Paul needs to take more shots. Like this all is stuff that it sounds very simple because it is, but without Devin Booker, uh, the fourth quarter is going to be a place where it needs to be better. That's how I think it can happen. It's not going to be a reimagination. We know the Suns can plug and play with the best of them. So I'm not worried about it from that standpoint. I just think they didn't play very well in that fourth quarter and in a lot of game two. And, and that needs to change. I mean, yes, breaking news from Lockdown Suns. You have to play well to win basketball games. So it'll be, it'll be interesting. Of course, I feel like I say that every day. The NBA playoffs are just so full of these chess moves and every game is its own little living, living breathing thing. The Scott Foster thing did not end up mattering. It's it's this polar 
craziness from Booker where he's 31 points and then he's hurt. And it, now in game three, it's can you survive without Booker? And there might be foul trouble or another injury or whatever on either side. And you just never know. So I think that, that getting back to the bases, the basics with this team is, is going to be where I would go if I was the Suns coaching staff. And I think that there's some openings to, to just go back to the normal stuff. And they're not doing that enough. So that's the message I'm hoping you're getting from this show. Do not go anywhere. Hit subscribe. Aaron Edwards joining us Friday to get his take on games one and two. Preview game three a little bit for you. Maybe some more info on Devin Booker once the media is able to talk with the players and coaches. All of that coming. And then I will do a bonus episode on Friday night for you guys because I'm a sucker because I love doing these and because I'm going to be watching. So why not? That's the schedule for the rest of the week, folks. Thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen today and every day. Now go make Locked On NBA your second listen to catch up on everything going on around the league on Wednesday night.